Hey guys, it's Ryan with Between the Liars. I've got a brand new series for you. I joined forces with Ken from Taboo Topic to bring you Blueprint, a limited series where we envision what a smaller government that is answerable to the people could look like. Conservatives like to complain about big government, but they seldom talk about what a smaller government should look like. Join us as we talk about the issues we see with the political landscape and discuss practical steps we could take to reduce and decentralize the government. I hope you enjoy episode one, where we cover congressional term limits. Tonight's first edition of Blueprint officially takes off. I will now reintroduce Ryan to the show, who will be participating in this series. Thanks for joining, Ryan. You know, thank you for having me. When you were telling me about this idea when you were on your hiatus, I was like, man, that is such a great idea. Because I know, especially on our show, Between the Liars, we complain a lot about the government. (laughs) And I know, you know, you like to do that on your show, too. And I think that it's very easy to criticize and critique I think it's much harder to come up with, well, what should this be like? And I think that like as we go through, you know, what would we envision in an ideal government, for, at least from our perspective, as we go through this, this limited series? I think that that will also help at least me have a greater appreciation for like what do the founding fathers do? Because like they had to design this government, like they set it up as as a republic instead of a democracy for a reason. And like, you know, just going through our reasoning for why we prefer specific things instead of just complaining about the status quo. I just think that'll be a unique challenge. So I'm really happy that you were willing to have me on board for this. Well, that also kind of gets into, I guess, your next promotion. I mean, at least for this limited edition. (laughs) Uh, This is, you're officially a co-host, I guess, for the Blueprint series. (laughs) All right. Co-host to co-host. At least for this uh, Blueprint edition series. Uh, unless Ryan says otherwise to me, he he is the one person you can guarantee that uh, you can guarantee to hear his voice from. I may have a third person on here every now and then just to kind of have like a different perspective, but you can guarantee it's going to be Ryan and I discussing this. And uh, Ryan and I were actually talking earlier in our text messages talking about how we've really started rubbing off on each other. Some of the stuff like how we <laughs> run our shows. Um, especially this blueprint series, this is really more of between the liars format, I thought, than it, than it, my typical uh, non-scripted rant sessions, if you will, uh, that I'm used to doing on my show. Again, there's some aspects of this show that will remain true to its uh, there that will remain true to its principles in the sense, like I said, it'll always be thought-provoking, and there's no time limit, unlike between the liars. So if you want between the liars, uh, basically untimed, this is based. This is where you can go to, I guess. Uh, and Ryan, I've like I told you, I told Ryan earlier, like he's actually playing audio clips for his build me segment. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, he called me out. He's like, I see my show has influenced yours. I was like, you know what? Like, uh, and honestly, the reason I didn't do clips at the beginning of my because it's time consuming. Like, we're not paid to do this, Ken. I wish we were. If anybody wants to sponsor any of us, hit us up. But. <laughs> You know, we do this as kind of whether it be like, you know, therapy or just, you know, trying to help people process what's going on and keep them informed. Like that's what the Bill Me segments were was I thought it was going to be just, you know, let's read the legislation. Nobody's going to like this. And 
I don't know. I think your clips help snag a little bit more attention. <laughs> I mean, how long have you been doing it? Uh, I started at, I think it's, it's been less than three months at this point, I think. So talking about use, incorporating the audio clips. Oh, audio clips. Uh, ooh, probably less than two or three weeks. Hey, there we go. <laughs> yeah, those audio clips, man. I mean, I'm sure it gave you a greater appreciation for the amount of work and effort I put into editing those weekly review editions. Yes, uh, I think that. <laughs> well, and on it, what's funny is that I don't think that listeners even truly grasp how much effort goes into a lot of these episodes like you know what sometimes we're doing show notes if we're trying to stay on track and organized but at the very least like i know ken even when you do your rants you've got to do your research and figure out what you think on something right and then you've got to edit like there's a lot that we put into this yeah and also i mean to kind of go piggyback of what you said i mean and kind of going back to earlier what I said, as far as remaining true to the show i mean these blueprint series i mean you can find an actual outline of what we're talking about on my Substack newsletter still. So my Substack newsletters, they'll still be coming around once a week and they'll have, they'll still cover different topics. And so if you read uh, this week, it'll focus on Congress next week, it'll focus on executive branch. Meanwhile, while that is, while we're using that as our guide, as we have these conversations, um, the podcast itself, just because the subsect may be on to executive branch does not mean we'll be on to the executive branch. This is actually using Ryan's idea as far as not trying to take too much, not not to take too big of a bite into one subject and actually have good discussion uh, to really get it, get, let the audience have a really general good understanding, like what our ideal government would look like, our deal or ideal version of smaller government looks like. Um, and I mean, a lot of work that when it put into this, especially for the ideas I came up with. I mean, I looked up uh, things about term limits. That will be today's topic, by the way, guys. We'll be talking about term limits. But um, one of the main things, I, I mean, I had to do a lot of research when it came to what the founding fathers' uh, perspectives were when it came to term limits, which uh, actually it's funny. I walked away realizing that none of the founding fathers believed in term limits. Yep. <laughs> I found that really funny. And then uh, <laughs> as time has progressed, I mean, we learned, we realized like, okay, we don't want a president who has unlimited uh, limits or terms. Right. He can run for kind of deal after FDR. And so there's time. And so we come into this recognizing while appreciating the effort and work our founding fathers put into creating our system together, we do recognize there's flaw. There were flaws that they may have, uh, not recognized and missed because we are human beings. And as time progresses, we learn new things in new ways that people can go ahead and try to obtain power, not just obtain power, but retain that power and increase their power even. And that's, you know, there's just some things that founding fathers can, there's only so many things I should say that founding fathers could forecast it happening. Um, but it's not to say that they didn't have those discussions that we're going to have those discussions today. And in this series, um, which, you know, a lot of the thoughts and, arguments I had in my mind, I mean, there were all those points the founding fathers also brought up. They just decided to go a different route at the time as far as like, this yep. is the route we should go with, but it doesn't mean, but just because they decided to go that route, it, it does not mean they did not have those debates and discussions and did not bring up those counterpoints, etc. So really, 
Go ahead. I was going to say, it's also important to note that what we propose is a very idealistic thought process. And we're going to go through the pros and cons for each one of these things, but on a practical level, something that Congress should be doing if they're doing their job correctly is compromising. And a lot of the way that our government was shaped was shaped through compromises, right? Like even when, you know, we had, a, 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 I believe it was a majority, but at least a good chunk of the founding fathers, you know, they wanted the rights to extend beyond just white males, right? But then they also acknowledged that a lot of people weren't going to sign on to that if they tried to press that. So like they were making small steps, they were compromised. Now we can talk about whether or not that's a good thing or a bad thing. But like, I think that, you know, maybe, maybe not term limits per se, but I'm sure that some of the things we talk about, they might have had to forego either because they didn't envision the government functioning the way that it currently does, or they thought I can sacrifice this for the bigger picture. Like, let's get us to have some federalized power instead of, you know, just kind of like a treaty between 13 colonies. Like, I think there's a lot <laughs> right. like, w when the sausage gets made, right? Like, I think that we have the advantage of being able to look at the final project and you and I get to criticize it and we get to look at the current project and we get to criticize it and propose new things. But, you know, there's there's real consequences for what like if this if our ideas become law, there's real consequences for that. Right. And like even things that we didn't anticipate that would be disadvantages would come out and rear their ugly heads. Yeah, I mean, and honestly, I, th I think we just pretty much hit the first point of the layout that I had presented to us as far as, you know, what's the purpose of the series? I mean, the purpose of the series is to give you guys a visual of what conservatives like Ryan and I talk about when we say we want smaller government. We want to give you guys an actual layout, a visual, like a construction worker, so you have an idea of what it looks like when we say smaller government looks like this. this is, and like Ryan said, this is like an ideal, perfect world scenario of what a smaller government would look like to us. And the t issues will vary from, I mean, we'll start off with this series with the first three branches of government. And there's so many things people, you and Ryan and I could say about the three branches of government currently right now in its current state and the changes that we could make. Or uh, I will venture to say there's some changes that have been proposed that I think do not should not be made because, you know, Change for the sake of change is not good, in my opinion. Uh, I think if the change is necessary, then I would venture to say we need change. But, um, but, those, are the, but those are the concepts we'll be looking into. And, I mean, also, when I think about <clears> – I mean, when I also think about how the Founding Fathers had those discussions and everything like that, I mean, like you said, they did have a lot of compromising to do. And, but they also did a lot of research themselves to create this framework. And what Ryan and I are kind of doing right now is we might as well, we're, it's like having like another convention of states, sort of the or the convention of, of 1870s, the Constitutional Convention, excuse me. I don't know why I can't remember my history all of a sudden, but it's like having a little mini Constitutional Convention right now um, that we're having. And they're the first three, they're the first part of the series will be focusing on the three branches. In this limited series, this limited edition, we'll also cover other aspects. Like I want to get into, you know, the progressive era and, you know, ideas such as the Senate and how they changed the rules of the Senate with the 17th Amendment, which is actually part of the congressional part. But uh, with that uh, influence, though, from that time era, it influenced FDR to create the New Deal. And so we'll look into the New Deal. We'll look into the criminal justice system and how we could limit the powers of the government while at the same time uh, 
making sure the government is strong enough to hold people accountable, uh, people who break the social contracts, such as murder, for example, and that's just the most basic example, but you get the idea. Or when states are violating the rights of individuals as outlined in the Constitution, which will also get into the Bill of Rights, at least some of them, such as the Second Amendment, which Ryan is personally passionate about. So <laughs> we'll also look into that, creating a blueprint as far as uh, limiting the size of the government, while at the same time coming up with reasonable or, as the Democrats like to say, common sense gun control laws, which I, it's not, I don't necessarily believe in a free-for-all necessarily, but I definitely think the laws in place. I think there's too many restrictions on guns, but I digress. Um, and this again, this is for, I mean, my main inspiration for doing this uh, series was because I watched an older clip from Sidney Watson talking to Elijah Schaefer from the slightly offensive TV show. So shout out to you guys. If one in a million chance you hear this, um, but she talked about how she had no idea what it meant when conservatives say smaller government that she liked the idea of it, but because she or we've grown up in this bloated, big, centralized government in our lives, it's hard for us to imagine what that would look like in the 21st century. And I'm not talking about using general words or general ideas or buzzwords like a politician. I mean, actually give a point-by-point point plan how we're going to not only shrink the government, but how we're going to maintain that shrinkage to allow the people to govern amongst themselves. Uh, there's a lot of emphasis on decentralizing power, but... I'd also like to venture to say that state governments need to back off the law-abiding citizens, too. What do you think? No, I, I agree. I think that I, – I feel like it's very easy to go along with the status quo. I mean I saw kind of a satirical comment being made. I don't remember when it was made exactly, but it basically said that the – this was when – well, I know it wasn't when Trump was in office. Anyway, the point was made that – Republicans promise to become fiscally conservative as soon as a Democrat is elected president again, right? So it's like the, <laughs> the Republicans usually are thought to be uh, more about conserving, right? By definition, we, we are interested in conserving the values. Not that we can't change things, but we're very slow to change things because we feel that there's reasons that some things are the way that they are. And come on my show or listen to my show, you'll know there's plenty of things I gripe about with all sides. So I'm not saying that we shouldn't change. But <laughs> typically, they are slower to make change. They're also typically slower to spend money. But that hasn't been the case recently. They also should have been slower in many instances to get involved in foreign wars. Um, that's actually where the far left and conservatives at times would have some overlap. But lately, we've just seen the government go full-blown Let's just be imperialistic. Let's just assert ourselves. And I think that, you know, we're just at a point where, like I mentioned a second ago, we're complaining about the status quo, especially as conservatives, but we're not actually bringing up a blueprint of what would we do to change the status quo. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Ken. That's why I wanted to come on here because I, I don't have all the answers I never do. I never claim to. And honestly, I change my mind a lot as I get more information. Like my specific thoughts when I started the podcast, even till just over a year later, I, I've got some different ideas now. I've flexed on some things or like, you know, like I, I'm not, I, I certainly haven't blown to the left, but like at the same time, you know, I, I have shifted my ideas on specific topics. And that's why we did that show. And I think that's why this will be a great show. 
is great reset taking, is one of them. <laughs> <laughs> it is. We we take a topic by topic approach and it allows for the nuance and that discussion. And I'm interested to see where we agree on these and where we disagree. But, you know, I'm here to bring the pros and the cons. I'm here to <laughs> to back you and to challenge you. So I think that, you know, starting from that square, I think we're going to have a great time with this. I mean, that kind of leads into my question then as far as like, what are points or subjects you are looking forward to going over or you think we ought to cover in the future as we uh, start this new series of blueprinting? Oh, sorry, ask that one more time, Ken. Yeah, so what are some subjects um, that you're looking forward to covering or uh, areas that you think we ought to cover in the future as we begin this new journey? Mm. So I'm really interested in discussing single issue legislation in fact one of the last bills that i covered in the bill me segment where i go over the legislation it's 134 pages right because now for that one it was about the veterans affairs and there were some specific things and that's fine but also democrats were accused of using a budgetary loophole so that they could take $400 billion and move it towards pet projects. And so a lot of times Congress has now shifted from, hey, we've got some compromises. I'll do something I don't like and that I do like, and you do the same thing, to now, you know what? I want these pet projects or these kickbacks given to these constituents or you know these uh, lobbyists or what have you. And, and they have these conglomerate bills that are sometimes thousands of pages long certainly hundreds, and then they're not even given time to read them before they're asked to vote on them. And Congress isn't doing their job if they're if they're not reading the legislation, right? Which brings me to the second thing I'm really interested in. Austin stated this early on in our podcast when he was on the show with me, and I concur 100%. I think that every time a bill is introduced, it needs to be read word for word from the floor of the House or the Senate so that they know what's going on and they don't just vote on something so that you know we we have some transparency and they know if they're voting for a pet project or if they're just voting for whatever the headline happens to be so those would be two things that i'm i would really be interested in covering in this segment what about you i am well i mean this is not really i mean as far as this segment in particular i'm really looking forward to discussing the 17th amendment process and how the Senate gets elected. I think that is such an interesting, uh, I mean, that was an interesting consequence of the progressive era that occurred, right? And that it was no longer state legislators that voted on who gets to represent in the state at a federal level. It was now a direct vote. It was a direct vote. And when I looked, when I really started looking more into, I was really surprised and blown away at the idea of how, why the founding fathers originally had it set up that way hmm. and how the founding fathers, it was actually a result of a compromise again, as you were yep. talking about compromises earlier, compromise as far as let the house be an actual direct vote situation. Whereas the Senate would actually be a state legislator as a kind of like a balance between federal interests and state interests. Um, and so to me, that's such an interesting concept. But as far as just the overall series in general, um, I'm looking forward to talk, getting over, going over the judicial branch mm-hmm. and talking about uh, term limits with the Supreme Court justices, justices, Ooh. because a lot of people seem to like that idea. And I'm going to give you <laughs> foreshadow. 
And I'm going to say I'm one of those people that say that does not need to change. Oh, well, then foreshadow, Ken and I are probably going to have a disagreement. So this <laughs> come back for that match later down the yes. road. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I'm, that's, that kind of goes what I was saying earlier as far as, you know, change for the sake of change is not necessarily a good thing in my opinion. And I think that's one of those things that should not be changed. Mm-hmm. But we'll, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we cross that bridge. Um, but as far as just in the overall Archid series, like I'm looking just forward to really diving into that progressive era and like looking into the the new deal from FDR and seeing the consequences that we've, we're experiencing now, the original thought process at the time, and uh, really coming up with new ideas as far as when it comes to smaller government. Is it feasible at this point? Should we even have Social Security anymore? Should we even use uh, systems like Medicare, Medicare anymore. And I know saying that scares a lot of people now because uh, the idea of not having health insurance uh, scares people. But I think there's been too much emphasis on uh, having coverage versus the quality of care, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. And uh, as I showed you yesterday, I think, I don't know if you read the article that I sent you yesterday as far as the, there's new scientific studies showing that there's really no evidence of chemical imbalances when it comes to depression. And the biggest uh, market for antidepressants is the veteran community. And so what does that say about our healthcare system or government-run healthcare in particular? And so, I mean, I'm looking forward to going over that. Is there anything like that you're thinking of, like outside of three branches or outside the Congress portion anyway that you're looking forward to going over or wanting to go over? Most of my ire has been directed at Congress, so I'll probably come up with something as we go. But no, most of mine's been been leveled at them. Like I would bring in an early hot take here, cut the pension for the people who are serving us. Like there's no reason, in my opinion, that we need to be giving them, you know, seventy thousand dollars a year for the rest of their life when they serve one term, two terms. Like, that's just insane. So yeah, most of mine is about kicking Congress in the pants so they start making legislation and stop being leeches off of the public dollar thanks <laughs> i mean that sentiment though i mean there's a re that's not a coincidence though right and this will lead into finally our main discussion for tonight term limits i mean it's not a coincidence why congress has i think single digit approval rating <laughs> mm, yep. which is abysmal you would think how how are those people being elected with uh, those numbers but I think it's kind of one of those things where I think America just kind of took for granted the responsibility of voting officials in that actually represent them. And I think not until recent years, like there's been more emphasis on local politics than really at any point in my lifetime, um, more emphasis on that than federal politics, because the local politics, local politicians are the ones that will actually create tangible change for the, you know, good or bad. Yeah. Like I could tell you in LA County, for example, they just voted to force hotels to allow at least half the rooms uh, open for homeless people to to live in, for example. Oh, wow. I didn't hear yep. about that. Yep. And so that was something that the LA, mm-hmm. LA has decided to do. And, you know, that's one of those things like for better or for worse, local politics is where you'll see tangible change, essentially. Yeah, And so, um, but this topic, congressional term limits, gets practically a universal consensus from the American public across the political spectrum. I don't think I've met a single Republican or Democrat that will fight you on the idea of term limits. But 
Uh, yeah. you, have you see, have you met anyone that's against that idea? I have met one person, and uh, one of their reasonings will actually I will bring it up in the cons because I think it's a fair concern, especially from my perspective, which is I prefer minimal government involvement. But like their main reasoning, just some foreshadowing here, was that they're like it's it's your decision to vote for who you want. It doesn't matter if I hate the person or think that they shouldn't be, you know, continuing to serve on an ongoing basis. If I think it's a stupid mistake, it's still your stupid mistake to make as a voter. I don't think the government should be regulating it. And, was like, and that was actually from a left-leaning person. So I was like, you know, that's a fair point. I still disagree because I think that there's quite a bit of good. But I think that there are things to think about if we were to, you know, let's let's say – somehow you know wave the wand bippity boppity boo there's term limits because, <laughs> let's be honest they're sure as hell not going to vote for it themselves yeah i mean and here's the thing though too i mean this is again one of those issues the founding fathers you know actually debated heavily on yep. but it begs the question like why didn't they impose term limits on congress in the constitution and like i said earlier when i the take back or the takeaway i got from doing my research that did None of the founding fathers believe. I mean, they eventually decide not to have any term limits on any of the three branches. But um, when it comes to Congress in particular, uh, as with any idea full of, a room full of people, there are varying opinions on the subject. Uh, there was a lot of compromising, but uh, the majority of them were in favor, were not in favor of term limits, believe it or not. They had to believe that the American people, I guess, to kind of piggyback off that the center just foreshadowed. Uh, they had the belief the American people were the best measurement of accountability towards their congressional leaders. Uh, additionally, experience mattered to the delegates of the convention. Yeah. Uh, James Madison, an opponent of congressional term limits, wrote in the Federalist Papers. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to try to do an accent, as I would imagine he would talk at the time <laughs> to bring some entertainment. But anyways, uh, a few... A few of the members of Congress will possess superior talents, will by frequent re-elections become members of long-standing, will be thoroughly masters of the public business, and perhaps not unwilling to avail themselves of those advantages. The greater the proportion of new members of Congress, and the less of the information of the bulk of the members, the more apt they to be to fail into the snares that may be laid before them. How was that, Brian? How's my accent? That was <laughs> entertaining, to say the least. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I, I, have, I have no idea how they would sound like at the time how they talk, so forgive me. It um, works good enough. Dramatization. <laughs> not not actual video or audio footage. Yeah, but by the way, guys, uh, once I get the new microphone, we will officially have the visual portion available. So you'll see Ryan and my face available with my Don't Tread on Florida flag in the background. Mm -hmm. And uh, so looking for, look forward to that on YouTube. But anyways, uh, oddly enough, though, this was a rejection uh, from the Articles of Confederation that had imposed turn limits on the Continental Congress in 1781. Uh, this turn limit stated, no person shall be capable of being a delegate for more than three years in any term of six years, uh, which given the problems that arose from the Articles of Confederation, it is understandable why they wouldn't they wouldn't impose term limits at the time. Yeah. Yet, to kind of allude back to what I was saying earlier, as far as what the forefathers did not uh, foreshadow, what worked in 1778 uh, has only partially transcended into our 
time in the 21st century. There is ex- now, I will say this: the pros, as far as the no turn limits, there is an advantage to having experience. I do believe in that. I do agree with that. Yeah. Um, but what they did not foresee was a day when delegates would abuse the system to the point of fixing results in their favor. This is not to say that the American people, who up until recently have undervalued that undervalued the responsibility of electing congressional officials, don't share that responsibility for this corruption. Yet, should there not be in check in case delegates abuse the trust of the American people? Now, in the spirit of the principles of our nation, yes. The question remains, what will that look like? Now, this is where it gets, this is where the blueprint comes in, folks. So this is my proposed constitutional amendments if we were having a convention of states right now with yours truly, me and Ryan. Uh, <laughs> so, first idea. Take it with a grain of salt. This is just an idea, like Ryan said, this is kind of like a perfect idealistic version of what that would look like, but take it with a grain of salt. So the first point I have here is Congress may serve what at the federal level is limited to 12 years in the House of Representatives a total of six consecutive terms. Congress may serve, but is at the federal level limited to 18 years in the Senate, a total of three terms. Federal congressional leaders from both chambers of Congress will be subject to term limits once in effect. So let's say, Nancy, let's say hypothetically, this gets amended in the Constitution tomorrow. Nancy Pelosi, Mitch McConnell, they'd be out. They cannot participate in the new election, <laughs> right? Like, get rid of all these career politicians. Get, get them out of there. Um, states may also impose term limits for state assembly members, uh, state officials, and local leaders in counties, but must adhere to their state constitutional amendment process. Uh, and I say that because at one point, there was actually an attempt to impose congressional term limits, and they try to use, go through the states to achieve this. But the Supreme Court in 1995 um, struck down saying staying the barriers could not be imposed beyond what the Constitution outlined. So in spirit of the, of the Supreme Court and the reasoning why they struck that down, you have that in there as well. And anything not covered in this amendment covered concerning state powers will be subject to Article 10. So... Ryan, your your floor. Well, I'd go back to what you started with here about you said it was Madison, right? Who was the opponent to this? And I think that correct. You know what he what he raises is a fair objection, and you actually touched on one of the things that I had prepped as as a, a negative point. If these were to be imposed, is that you have people who would be inexperienced. Now, I think we're facing the extreme overcorrection for that right now, which is, I would say, Nancy Pelosi and, um, you know, Mitch McConnell, Chuck Schumer, et cetera, they have too much experience because they've become a career politician and they're, they're basically, you know, just completely leeching off the taxpayer because that's how, you know, they, they haven't had to do anything. They've had, they've not had to pass any sweeping legislation. They haven't had to try to broker deals. Like there's no fire under their butts while they're in there to get anything done because they can stay as long as they're happy. And incumbents or the people are happy with them. And incumbents tend to do better at the polls. And I, I understand that is kind of the the two options that we seem to be facing here. I would add that I don't think 
any of the founding fathers when they set this up with, hey, we're not going to impose term limits. I think that it's important we look at the context and you laid out these numbers in your Substack newsletter. They weren't making that much. In fact, they were making so little that they had to have another job. And that was the original intent of being a member of Congress or, or being involved in the government as all at all. It was it was a, a service to your country. It's, I love my country. I want to serve it. So you literally left your farm or whatever you did for a living and you went in to better the government. And now it's the complete opposite. You go in, maybe it's for power. Maybe you start off wanting to do change, like whatever your reasoning is, but they tend to just sit there and then they don't do anything. The last thing Congress did well was they gave themselves a race or they pass, you know, legislation <laughs> to kind of be performative. But if you read the text of the bill, it doesn't actually do anything like even the veterans bill that just passed. Okay, great. Like, I don't think that there's I think if you actually look at the, the wording of some of the stuff, I don't think that it's it's set up well enough to actually improve the status quo. I still think the veterans are not going to get the the treatments that they need. So, like, that's just one example of where I think that the term limits not being imposed means that they have no incentive whatsoever to reach across the aisle or to propose more moderate legislation, right? Because the people on the far right propose things that are very extreme to that side and the people on the far left propose things very much to the extreme on that side. So then it just keeps getting shot down or they try to ram it through. You know, they try to destroy the filibuster so that they can do it with fewer votes. They don't try to work together. I think that if you were like, hey, you get 12 years to do this, and if you actually care, I feel like you would think, okay, I've got 12 years, clock's a ticking. If I actually want to get this through, I better either tone back my radical things that are not going to be popular, or I try to work with the other side, which was the entire purpose here. So I think that term limits might achieve a solution for some of the issues we're facing now, including the fact that, you know, they're just, uh, let's see, I think it's, it's, it's about, is it 200 and something thousand a year? Like it's a, it's an insane it's a, it's amount a, of money. Yeah. I mean, definitely more than I've ever made in my life for one year. I mean, let's say that, <laughs> let's just say that they get $70,000. You got to also remember that they don't pay for mail. Uh, they use franking, right? So they, they can send out all of their mm. ads and any like official business. They can, they can do it for free. So they don't pay for postage for their government stuff. They don't have to pay for their meals. Really. If I'm understanding this correctly, because they got dining halls and everything else set up. So it's like, well, what do you need that much money for? Like, yeah, that's, so that's, I would say in a no subject, your, right? <laughs> <laughs> to your limit, uh, I would say that they should be limited in their, in their funds uh, to kind of like, if, if not limiting in terms, I think that limiting through funds or a combination of both would be a much better way to help them focus on what they're there to do and what they claim to do, which is represent us. So I think that, you're spot on with some, I mean, I would even say, Hey, look, you get 20 years. You can flex that however you want. You can, you know, do two stints as the president and then you can spend the rest of it, you know, as either a state or local or whatever, you know, and I'm just talking federal government level here. If you want to go into local <laughs> politics, right. et cetera. like I would even be in favor of let's have a hard number that they get capped at and they can spend it however they want at the federal level. I think you also raised a very important point about the state level. I wouldn't want the federal government imposing mandates on the state legislation. I think that that should be left to them. But I think Congress at the federal level needs to be reined in. And I think that that would fix a lot of the issues we see 
Um, so real quickly then, are you disagreeing with the proposal of having a constitutional amendment to allow this? Are you agreeing with my the point about letting states impose term limits for their own people? Yes, I'm okay. agreeing. I'm saying okay. that if, if there are to be term limits at the state level, it needs to be done by the state government. Now, for the federal level, I think that we could do a constitutional convention being called, like just from a practical standpoint. Um, the states could actually force the federal government if we made this a – as I understood it anyway. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that's what you were getting at with the Supreme Court. But my understanding is the check on the federal government is that states have the ability under Article 5 to call a constitutional convention if they get two-thirds of the state legislators on board which is 34 states, and then if it's ratified by three-fourths of the states, so 38 out of 50, you could pass a constitutional amendment to the federal, like the federal constitution, not the state constitution. And we could, I believe, pass an amendment that states that they get a specific term limit because Congress, let's face it, is not going to do this themselves. No. <laughs> so we the people, through a constitutional convention, I believe, could in fact, on a very practical sense, make this a reality at the federal level, and then we could also do it at the state level if we wanted. Let me ask you this then, because, which, by the way, I'm glad you brought up Constitution or Convention of States because that is the second way uh, we can actually amend the Constitution and no one really talks about. Even in conservative yep. circles, they never bring up the fact that's actually outlined the Constitution. Dude, Again, the states have so much power. Like, they can yeah. veto federal <laughs> stuff. Like, there's so much they can do that we don't – because most people just think, okay, it has to be two-thirds of the House and two-thirds of the Senate or uh, three-fourths of both, I think. Whatever I think, it is, that's that's the usual thought. Yeah, and then – but people don't realize if – Congress is not willing to amend the constitutional, go through the actual process. The states could actually say, hey, uh, we're going to go ahead and have a convention of states and we're going to go ahead and make these changes to the constitution because, yep. I mean, the, our founding fathers, one of those things, again, where the founding fathers had the foresight of imagining a day where, I guess you could say they kind of envisioned a day where Congress would get corrupt. They probably didn't know to the extent of how corrupt it would be. Well, Congress but, is a lot like the king, and they were very much fleeing the king's reign of terror at that point, right? So they they wanted the president to have – like basically the higher you went, the less power you were supposed to have, which is why like they almost didn't want to federalize. Um, there was there was a lot of debate about if we should even federalize in the first place, but they, they basically said, hey, uh, you know, foreign enemies and also the ability to like speak as a united front kind of goes away if we don't so it seemed to be a bit more begrudging but like it was designed to have the states have the power not federal congress so let me ask you this then as far as because i kind of struggle with this as far as coming up with it, a general idea of a good uh number for turn limits yeah. Um, would you say when it comes to at the federal level anyway, would you say uh, would you say that we should have term limits separately for the House of Representatives based on how they get elected and how many years they could run, they could serve for, which is two years, and have a separate one for Senate? Or should there just be more like a unified set number of years? So let's say um, I've decided to run for my, the district in Sarasota, Florida, for example, and let's say the amendment process or the term limit says I could serve 20 years in Congress total, no matter whether I'm in the Senate or I'm in the House of Representatives. So that would mean I could 
let's say, 10 years in um, serving the House of Representatives, if I ever get, if I were to ever get that lucky to get elected, uh, <laughs> I would have basically only 10 years to serve in the Senate as a result because of that 20-year limit overall to both chambers of Congress. Uh, what are your thoughts about that? I'll start by saying that I'm pretty open um, like whatever it took, whatever compromises it took, like I'm happy to flesh this out more and more. I will, I will state what I think are some of the advantages of like a blanket, let's say 20 years. I think that let's be honest, we don't really see sen- like usually there's not supposed to be a hierarchy, but there is like senators are given a lot more clout than um, your house of representatives. And part of that's because of the amount of power that they hold. Part of that's the way that their duties are outlined in the constitution and Part of that is, you know, it was originally the way that they were set up, right? So it was supposed to be kind of the the middle ground between federal and then like your local constituents. But like most people are like, oh, yeah, AOC is like this voice. It's like, well, she's a representative. She represents a district versus, you know, someone in the Senate represents the state at that level. So I feel like state senators don't I, – I feel like they think it's beneath them to run and represent the more local regions, and I think that's part of the reason they're out of touch with their local constituents, right? Because in theory, what the state senators are supposed to do is they're supposed to represent the state's interest, every district in the state. And your congressional members in the House of Representatives are supposed to represent the district. So it, it's it's like a funnel, right? So at the very – you get right. more and more concentrated. You're supposed to be more and more touch. And I think that if we just said you get 20 years, then I think that that would let them have a little bit of of an idea of how would they like to spend that time as opposed to I feel like if we do it the other way, some people might view it as, well, I'm I'm trying to get noticed in the House so I can then move to the Senate, so I can then move to like governor and then president. Like I, I feel like if we – More room for corruption or career politicians basically is what you're saying. Perhaps, but like I'm more thinking if we said you get 20 years, then that encompasses everything from governorship to House to Senate to president, everything at the federal level. Oh, so you you include the presidency. (laughs) I would. I wouldn't include governor. I just – once I said that, I realized that's state. So forget I said that. So (laughs) House, Senate, president, right? So if you want two terms as president, that's eight years gone. You get 12 years to serve somewhere else. Or if we did you know, 30 years, whatever it is. I, I really, I just want some limitations. So even if we said, "Hey, you know, you can't serve more than thirty years cumulatively," well, that's that's over, you know, half of a good chunk of people's lives. You know, certainly their adult life. Like, why, <laughs> if you can't run until you're what is it, twenty-two for most of these positions, twenty-one, mm-hmm. I the exact age. Even twenty years at that point, you know, you're up in your your forties. You know, if we did thirty years, you're up in your fifties. There comes a point where you're not really representing the population, as we're seeing with you know Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, uh, Mitch McConnell. Like, I, I really think that it it it's a it's a high number, but it still makes it so that we weed out some of the true career politicians who've had enough time to really get, in my opinion, corrupted. So, what is a good I, what makes Ryan feel most comfortable? If you were to come <laughs> up with something to as a counter offer for compromise, yeah. Or let's say, actually, not even don't even think about compromise. For, let's just imagine like you're king of ride for one second and say, <laughs> "I'm going to oppose these changes that I feel comfortable with, as far as limiting the powers of Congress, as far as term limits." What would your ideal solution be in, 
And then do you have any counterpoints, actually, or any counter ideas that I brought up earlier, uh, such as maybe have like an overall 20-year limit to serve at any uh, level to serve as a public servant, et cetera? I mean, what does is, what is Ryan feel comfortable with? If I were to do a blanket overall, I'd do 20 years. I, I did like your numbers that you outlined, so I'm not opposed to those. Um, so, so would, would you rather would be comfortable with either, but I think I would lean towards a 20 year blanket and that includes the president because okay. otherwise I feel like, I feel like a lot of politicians view it as a ladder, right? Like, you know, it's, it's like, all right, I'm, I'm going to do the house of representatives. Then I'm going to do the state Senate. Then I'm going to go for governorship so that I can then get the presidential nomination. Like, I don't feel like they're doing this because they want to represent my district. I feel like a lot of them view it as a step to get to the most power that they want, right? Like they want the prestige and the power of the presidency and that's how they view it. So I would say 20 years because then you're focused on change. In, in my opinion, I think that you'd be more focused on change <laughs> than on right. how long can I, I want to keep running and running and running at the house of representatives until there's finally an opening in the Senate. And I'm going to run and I'm going to run and run and run until finally all the candidates are so crappy that I can throw out my presidential nomination. <laughs> I feel like they, they wait their time because right. You're, you're trying to, to not get defeated and you're trying to remain an incumbent so you can rub shoulders in Washington. You're not trying to actually go where you think you can serve, in my opinion. So I think 20 years, you're going to ration that and a budget much more than you would if you even had, you know, what did you say? Eight years in one and 12 in the other. And because then I feel like they'll be hopping from yeah, one was to gonna, the next. Yeah. So what I have here is for the Senate, 18 years uh, consecutive terms, which I'll get into that in just a second. So if um, they lose one time or step down for one term, you let them run again? I mean, three consecutive – I mean, that's – so that's what's going to bring up – that's what I was going to ask you as far as like what do you think about the idea of consecutive terms? Because right now the president – I mean, that's the only reason why Trump can run again, for example, is because uh, he has – well, I shouldn't say that. There's been some points I've heard in the past from more liberal uh, arguments as far as – Technically, Obama could run for third term because he hasn't run for two consecutive terms. It doesn't specifically state two consecutive terms. And so, oh, as long as it doesn't run for two consecutive terms, excuse me. So, now nah, I think about that, it. Wait, wait, hold on. They're saying Obama could run again? There's some people that have said that. Okay, yeah. well, those people are wrong because I have the 22nd <laughs> Amendment, Section 1. No person shall be elected to the office of the president more than twice. And no person who has held the office of president or acted as president for more than two years of a term to which some other person was elected president shall be elected to the office of president more than once. Which basically means if President Trump had died in office and then Mike Pence stepped in as vice president for the last two years, then my understanding from the reading of this is that he could not be elected you couldn't – Obama could not – In my, from my understanding of this, he could never run for vice president because in the event the president dies, he would have to step in. Although it does say they shall not be elected to the office, so, you know, run with the conspiracies as you will. <laughs> Pick a soup, you know, they let Obama run for Joe Biden's, you know, when he's 89 years old. And, you know, the under, you know, you know, you see what I'm saying here. So it's, it sounds like you cannot run on the ticket as president 
he could not run on the ticket again, regardless of the break or any of that, because he was elected twice. Now, Trump has not been elected twice, so he could right. run again. Now, if if Ron DeSantis, let's say, is the GOP presidential nominee and Trump is the vice president nominee, and this is getting way off on a tangent, but I think this is fun. So if if he, <laughs> let's say Ron DeSantis served two years and then resigned and then Trump stepped in, then Trump from my reading of this and my understanding could not run for a full extra term because that would be too much. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah. And I think that's what they're trying to hint at. I said along those lines, I think okay. I may have, may have just worded it wrong. Um, oh, you know, that's it. <laughs> all good. So uh, yeah, I, but uh, you were asking me um, about my thoughts on consecutive terms. Yes. Okay. I think that, I don't care whether you take 10 years on or off. I think that your clock starts. So like you don't have to – your first campaign is not when your clock starts, but when you serve a term and let's say you're the president for four years, I don't care if you you know don't run for a decade and then you try to run for you know 24 years worth of terms. Like I think that the cap is the cap. So I'm trying to think how to be the most clear on this. You get elected – to no more in my proposal here, no more than 20 years. So if you want to serve two terms as president and then you want to do eight years in the Senate and then where am I at here? I think I need another uh, four years, right? Eight, 16. Yep. Another four years. So then you could serve two house of representative terms because if I remember correctly, those are two year stints. Correct. So you then think that the would... states should be completely left alone. So you like, and you like that portion, correct? Now, I'm talking about the state representatives at the federal government. So if you are the so that's state what I'm saying. Senator, so yeah, yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. So when we, when we go to the state politics portion anyway, not the federal portion, but we right. dwindle down to the state politics, do you like I'm, – I'm assuming that does not – let's say you do your 20 years at the federal level. You could still ser- – do tw- you could still serve in your – uh, state politics if you wanted yeah, to. Sure, okay. absolutely. And I, I think that I would be in favor of term limits there too. Uh, but there is less power. You're more plugged into your district, right? The more local you go, the more you can influence the community, like you mentioned earlier, for better or for worse. So I'm actually okay with that. I think it's the the politicians that are trying to have, it seems like anyway to me, the highest salary, the most power, and they get out of touch with their constituents, and then they think, I'm going to unilaterally unilaterally decide who, what Congress is passing here, and if I can't get it through, then I'm going to break the filibuster. And if that's not – you see what I'm saying? Like I, I think that it's just right. – there's less power at the local level, even at the state level. So, you know, you could go run for states or for U.S. Senate. You could run for U.S. House. You could run for U.S. President. And then it's like, you know what? I still want to serve. Step down. Fine. That's fine by me. (laughs) Well, I think to – I mean, here's the thought I just came up with in my head as you were talking about your 20-year blanket. Because, like, the more I think about it, I actually kind of like that idea as far as you have 20 years to serve at the federal level and everything like that. But the same – I mean, I don't know. A part of me is like having second thoughts about my own idea as far as states may impose their term limits. As far as um, should that 20 years also apply to the, let's say you serve 20 years, 20 years, 10 years at the federal level, eight of those years, you serve two consecutive terms 
as president. You say you want to become governor. And part of my, in my head, I'm just, because I really just don't like the idea of career politicians. I think that's what it is for me. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> fine, yeah. And so part of me just thinks like, should they be able to go ahead after serving this 20 years and run for other offices in the state and continue that process of the career politician, for example? But it would also venture to, I guess, add on to the point of, well, since you're not getting a pension anymore, this will get into the qualifications and pay aspect later on um, in this blueprint series. But if they're not getting a pension, then it's like, all right, well, there, there's your incentive. You want to keep serving the public and you want to, you know, I guess make some money, which is terrible. For me. It's terrible to say it, but I do get the purpose of getting some pay uh, from Congress when the founding fathers created that pay. And I'm trying not to get, I'm trying, not, I'm trying to focus on term limits right now. So I'm not trying to get, <laughs> yeah, you're walking towards the edge. <laughs> yeah, I'm walking, I'm walking very close, but it's kind, it is kind of an incentive though, as far as, you know, uh, if you want to continue, if you want to have that security, financially speaking, that compensation and that says like, you know, I do care about my country then I think that is an incentive for them to continue serving beyond those 20 years. At the same time, though, like I said, as far as the aspect of a career politician, I mean, if you run for president, for example, should you be able to able to run for any political office ever again? And I think that's my main issue with your blanket, all federal level kind of deal as far as because uh, the president, even though it checks and balances in our system and everything, that, and technically – uh, no one branch has uh, more power than the other. Let's, I mean, the president, and this will get into the executive branch in this series as far as like what needs to be done to limit the powers of the presidency even to where it's not so king-like. Yeah. Um, which is pretty much, it's become a modern day king, I feel like, to an extent, especially, with the, amount of, especially with the amount of executive orders they can just write on a whimsical right. from one stroke of a pen. And so because I, we grew up with that in my head, I'm just thinking the president is the most powerful person in the world, in the country. And so for me, it's like, should someone who comes from that high status be able to run ever again in any political position, even if it's state politics, local politics? Well, I, I feel like what do we see a lot of the presidents doing after they retire, right? Like we see them doing a lot of writing and selling of books and memoirs. Like president Obama's sold, like he's got like a 12 part volume. Like, you know, he's got so much that he's writing and selling and then they get paid to go and speak at events. Like the Clintons charge inordinate amount of money to come and speak at events. And like, I think that I would just generally answer your question by saying, I have never seen a person serve as a politician that I think, you know what? I would love to craft an exception for them because they're just that good. Usually we want to craft an exception because our candidate that was doing what we liked is no longer eligible. No one else is stepping up and we're worried that we're going to lose control. And that's a strategic thought process from whether it be the Senate or the – usually more of the Senate standpoint or the presidential standpoint because Congress has – um, so many members at the House of Representatives level. But I feel like we're more concerned about, well, what can we do to maintain the status quo or to maintain power instead of, is this person really representing 
us. And I, I don't think that they're really representing us. I mean, honestly, here's been my perspective on, on Congress in general. The less of a majority one party has and the less any candidates can do, the better off we are as the people because they kind of just let things plod along. No one's, you know, passing sweeping legislation on either side at the federal level, you know, focus at the state level. And I think that that really speaks to what is the current attitude of Congress. They get in there and they either think I'm going to try and do all of this and they can't or they don't. Or they're just complacent in what they're doing, at least well, from I was, perspective. I mean, to an extent, though, too, I mean, I guess this is the beauty of what I have on this part of the amendment process as far as states may also impose turn limits, et cetera. Um, anything not covered in this amendment concerning state powers will be subject to Article 10. But <laughs> um, in theory, with the current proposals I have, with your blanket idea of 20 years serving at the federal level, in theory, states could decide, let's say Florida or where you're at, Kentucky now, right? Uh, Kentucky. Yep, yep. Or let's say Kentucky, right? Let's Kentucky could just say to someone like Obama, for example, say, all right, uh, you serve two, year, two terms as president. You will not be eligible to run in any political office here in Kentucky kind of deal, you know? Yeah. And I think – that by itself is kind of a compromise to my own concern as far as uh, career politicians. Like states, if they really wanted to ensure uh, those individuals who serve 20 years at, at the blanket uh, proposal they came up with, um, they could make their own uh, – they could create their own statuses or laws that help prevent those individuals from running any political office. And they can just tell those political leaders, like, get get a damn job at the private sector, join the military <laughs> kind of deal. Yes, I, I agree. And and that's, I think what you touched on there is the beauty of returning, uh, like almost, I feel like a lot of our blueprint here will be about returning the power to the states. We've, with this proposal, what we've done is we've heavily restricted what people can do at the federal level, trying to speak for everyone. And we've allowed the states to determine how they'll be spoken for. So let's say, you know, Obama's not from Kentucky, but you know, if we... Let's say Ron DeSantis gets the presidentship and then he wants to come back and be governor again. Florida can then decide because it's much easier to get Florida to vote for Florida than it is to get you know, right. Florida's voice for the U.S. or Kentucky's voice for the U.S. Like that was why the founding fathers wanted this so much at the state level to have so much control because you could change a lot faster and a lot more. Like people talk about sweeping change. Talk about sweeping change for your state then, right? Because if Ron DeSantis wants to come back to Florida at that point. And he wants to, you know, serve the people in that way. If Florida wants someone who's been the president to come back and serve at the governorship, then they can write their constitution to do so. And if they don't, then they can write it so that they can't. And California is going to be very different than anywhere in the South. And that's going to be very different than the Midwest, which is, you know, like it, and it just allows for more of a, a climate control. And a temperature check of what do the states want? We've restricted it at the federal level. We've stripped them of that ability to wield the power that they either want or they want to break. And we force them to go back to the constituents. Because let me tell you, a politician is going to be much more subjugated to the whims and the mercy of the voters when they can be limited like this, right? Because it's going to be at 
the almost at the behest of of the voters at that point in the state of Florida, in the state of Kentucky, right? So I, I think that that would allow us to not only fix a lot of these issues, I think that it also answers the, the, the original call of the founding fathers. Let's make sure that the people hold the power, not the politicians. Okay, so this kind of gets into state politics then. <laughs> As let's say Kentucky did have a proposal to ban someone like Obama in a hypothetical sense. He's from Kentucky. Right, right. Yep, yep. Um, let's say, well, actually, let's pretend you're from Illinois because that's where Obama is from. Uh, at least that's sure. what the state he claimed when he was running for when he became president because I think he was a senator representing he, Illinois, right? Was, yep, that's correct. Yeah, okay. So let's use Illinois and you were a resident of Illinois and there's on the ballot box whether or not politicians who serve their 20 years in, that, in your blanket 20 years of any political position, what would you vote? Would you vote to uh, not allow Obama to run for any political office and you know tell him to go kick rocks, get a job at the private sector kind of deal? Or would you, or would you be open to him like running for any position at the state level at that point? Mm. That's a good question. I appreciate the thoroughness of it. I would say that I would tell him to kick rocks. I don't want a federal politician <laughs> coming back. Now, now let me explain why. I think that that if if I say you're not allowed to come back down, I think that what that does is it forces politicians to start at the local level. And instead of starting at the local level, as many of them do as a stepping stone to climb the ladder, if they know that they only have 20 years at the top, what I'm hoping would be the thought process of politicians would be, I want to get in touch with my local communities and represent them well so that my name is out there so that I can move up so that I can actually make the change that I want. I've got a clock, which means that I have to work within that time frame and not be too radical and not drag my feet. And I need to actually get it done in that time. And then not having the incentive structures of pay, et cetera, which we'll get to later would also ensure that they're doing it to actually uh, whatever prestige they want in that time or whether they want to do it to actually make a change is irrelevant because they will be forced to be making more of a change, I think. So what I'm saying here is that allowing them to start at the local level lets them get in touch with their constituents and gradually expand their way up. So if they want to you know, work at the Chamber of Commerce for the city that they live in and then expand out, they can totally do that. And they can serve as much as they want to. And then they know, you know what? I want to be president by the time I'm this age. So I need to get in touch with all my constituents between now and then strategically use my 20 years or the um, 12 years that I have at federal legislative level so that I can then go serve two years as the presidency. Boom. I think that instead of allowing them to be like, I'm going to go serve at the prestigious level and then come back and tell you all how to live your life. I want it the other way. I want them to learn how we want them to live their life. And then I want them to go and pass that on at the higher level. Because I think that really what they're doing is I have this agenda or I say these things that I think will get me elected and they're not at the federal level. AOC is not representing her district. She's trying to represent her state. And that's not who she was elected to represent. She won by a slim margin or whatever the margin was for her district. She did not win the state. She's too radical for <laughs> the Jewish conservative portions of New York. She would need to tone it back. So I think that you need to get in touch at the local level and then work your way up. So that's why that, that would be my reasoning for that. Now, would that just apply for any, any politician who 
serve 20 years at the federal level or would that just be more for presidents in particular any 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 20 years when you're 20 <laughs> once you've served your 20 years that's it i could honestly i would allow an exception for someone to serve i would allow an exception for someone to serve let's say 12 years and then step back down. And I know that that's going to let people use that as a loophole, but let's say (laughs) that I want to give them the benefit of the doubt and say that they realize that they don't want to complete those terms. They want to go back and serve their community. I think that the community voting and having to have their ear to the ground there more, I would trust the communities to make that decision. But once they've completed that 20 years, I would say I don't want you coming back. Because, like, here's the deal. Obama is much beloved by a lot of the people who are not conservative. And he even won a large portion of the conservative that's, like, more center conservative vote back in the day on his first presidential election run because he was (laughs) – he was much, much more of a moderate. He was much more unifying in his message the first time that he ran for the presidential office. And so I think that people will almost vote for him just out of the familiarity of him, just out of, you know, the I think that we romanticize a lot of what politicians in the past did, especially as they get removed from office and removed from the public eye. So I would say for that reason, I don't think that they should be able to step back down once they hit that 20 years. If you want to serve for 16 years, 18 years, and then go back because you're really that desperate to stay in politics or it's just because you truly love your community, (laughs) I don't care. You'll have to convince the community you love them because they're going to vote for you. But I would limit the 20-year mark. And I feel like I'm splitting hairs at that point, but that would be my my compromise there. 20 years. Because otherwise, what if someone serves – two years at the federal level and then they realize they're much better fit for local communities like that's the extreme i'm looking at here right like the extreme that most people will get to is they serve 18 years and now they're trying to be a career politician at the local level but what about the person who served two years in the u.s house of representatives and then decided they'd rather go back and work at the chamber of commerce why would i penalize them so i would either craft specific nuance that it's like i don't know 10 years or fewer or i would say that as long as you don't hit your 20-year cap you can come back so here's my nuance to your nuance, nuance. Okay. Uh, <laughs> nice. So okay, <laughs> yeah. So what would you say then? Would you say let's okay let's again go back to that twenty year. Let's say they did their twenty years, right? Obama uh, does his twenty years in your world and your proposals, and he comes back and you vote no. Would you say that applies to every single politician, or should that be on the ballot box for? As far as okay, so should that rule for the state be applied for all Congress members or not all Congress, but all elected officials who are at the federal level who served 20 years, or should it be a case by case basis? So let's say Obama, right? Did his 20 years and on the ballot box, it says, should Obama be allowed to, you know, serve in local politics ever again in our state, in the state, the people of the state vote no, but let's say there's another uh, person who served 20 years and let's say he's not, Let's say he's another president from Illinois, hypothetically, or in the future, right? He serves his 20 years, eight years as president. And let's say, um, let's say get the, he decides, let's say this, he also gets put on the ballot as far as whether or not the state feels as though he should be allowed to uh, ser- represent or serve in local politics. And let's say, hypothetically, 
you know, for this nuanced perspective, the reason why I say that, but let's let's just say that perhaps they didn't necessarily like Obama and how they represented their state. And so they feel as though like he wasn't worthy enough, if you will, to serve in local politics ever again in Illinois. But this other guy who is also president and served eight years as president, did his 20 years, they felt as though he did a really good job and he was, you know, deserving to be allowed to work in state or local politics again. Hmm. What would your thoughts be on that nuance, your nuance? Nope. I would go back and I would say that this should be passed as a constitutional amendment at the state level. So states passed a constitutional amendment or they create an amendment that says to their constitution in their constitution, whether this can or cannot be the case. It is irrelevant whether that person is Obama or somebody else. It's just a blanket. But if you were president of Illinois specifically though like would you rather see something like that or would you rather see more like a universal standard applied in your state I would rather see a universal standard applied because otherwise what you're doing is you're creating this almost hegemonic power because Illinois tends to vote blue at least at the national level and the government or the governorship and things like that right which means that states That's fair. and and you could even do Tennessee at the red level let's say we have or let's say Florida Florida's pretty red right now it's do we what you would create is this hegemonic power in which if a democrat from illinois gets elected president then they'll be given the exception to come back and basically be not king because they're not (laughs) almost king if they're governor right because like and i think that my rationale my value system for this system being put in place is because i don't want career politicians i don't care who they were i don't like i'm going to vote specific ways based off of my preferences but i don't care who they are what party they affiliate themselves with i i do not want them to be able to come back period so That's if fair. illinois wants to say that obama can't then it needs to be because no person who has served their 20 years or whatever the criteria is can come back and do that at the state level, whether it's governorship or whether, but also Tennessee might say we want that, which means that any person from Tennessee who's gone on and served even up to the presidentship could come back. And I want that at a state level, but I want it consistent because otherwise you get the hegemonic power, you get the Mitch McConnell's, you get the Nancy Pelosi's, you get the Chuck Schumer's who are there because they're an incumbent. Right. Once someone's become a president, assuming they've been favorable enough to run for two terms and they come back to their state, they they get a monopoly. So like outside the restrictions that are already on the governorship, which fun fact, you can't serve more than <laughs> years in a 12 year time frame. So you have to take at least one cycle off. Really? I that, yes. I don't want I don't want that because if, if I create those exceptions then we've just gone back to your 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 lifers when it comes to to you know sucking off the the teat of the the taxpayer dollars like that's that's not what i want now the only reason i allow for a state by state basis is because i believe that the states need to have the say not the federal government so i would let them do what they want there but i don't want it to be pick and choose based off of the candidate that happens to affiliate with the state so here's my push back to your 20-year plan overall and as far as the yes. application of states is that I think you I think your idea works on a universal standards when it comes to congressional leaders if they never served presidency I just have because I view the president as like a king-like figure 
as like the highest, most powerful person in the world, literally. Um, I have a hard time feeling comfortable allowing that exception to return back to po- local politics personally. So I think I would admit if the state of Florida made an exception where um, or may, came up with this proposal of, all right, anyone who served in Congress for 20 years at least um, or just uh, 20 years of Congress at least and they want to come back and serve local politics – I'm personally, well, no, I probably tell them to go kick rocks too, but, <laughs> but as far as the presidency, it is concerned or anything like that. I think, I think about, it, I think there should be a constitutional amendment for that says, but if you served as presidency at any point, uh, during your 20 years, you're automatically not qualified in any of the 50 States to run for office ever again okay so let me let me be sure that i'm understanding you're saying that you agree with my 20-year limit in this scenario and you agree that they shouldn't be able to come back but you don't want that left to the states you want it to be at when it the comes national to the pre- level no 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 when it comes to the presidency so if you, let's say you're 20 year so really i'm so i guess i'm like i like the idea of the 20 year all right okay but yep, my yep. But as far as like the states is concerned, I think this congressional leader, if you've never served as president at any point during your 20 years, I think you should – I think that should be left to the states. When it comes to whether or not the president should come back and serve in local politics, I think that should – I think there should be a constitutional ban saying the president himself mm. cannot run in any local politics ever again. Because to me, like I said, I, kind of, I do view him as a king-like figure, and it's probably because – we grew up in the genera- in this generation where he has that much power, yeah. you know. And so, for me, I just feel very uncomfortable with someone who's been president, been the most powerful man in the world. He's going to have all the influence, and now he wants to run for local politics with all that influence and power. I mean, I I don't think he should be able to run. Period. Ever again. Hmm. What do you think about that? I'm open to it. Um, I I kind of like your reasoning there, and I I to an extent I do agree with it. So, what you're saying then, if I'm understanding your scenarios correctly, is if I spend one six-year term in the Senate, and then I get elected to the presidency, I cannot go and serve at the local level ever, regardless Correct. of the fact that I only. I didn't complete my 20 years. Correct. And you're that, that shouldn't be left states to decide. That should be blanket, just that's written into the federal constitution. I think so, personally. Okay, so then let me ask you this. Would you limit the president from going back to finish out his 20 years or her 20 years at the federal level? Going off your same it, reasoning that you view I think him or her I think like the king... As far as I think, honestly, I mean that's a good point. That's a good counterpoint, to be honest. Um, was, <laughs> that's why I'm here. That's why I'm here. <laughs> yeah, because in my head, I'm just thinking like in my head, I'm thinking, well, as long as he's within those 20 years, you know, at the federal level, like I could care less. But at the same time, that would be contradicting what I just said just a moment ago. As far as king-like figure should not be able to run for local politics ever again. But I think it's also protecting states at the same time. Um, 
But from. who are you, or what are you protecting the states from? Because, the, like, the main argument that I always give and that I see made by conservatives for the states having that type of power to decide for themselves is the states know best, the constituents know best. That is the most accountable level of government. So, what would we be trying to protect them from in this scenario? I mean, someone who has that much influence and power. That's my concern. And that's really what I think the states should be protected from. Because let's say someone from with Obama status, I mean, he has all the connections literally globally around the world, a lot more, a lot more connections than probably, uh, which we call it John Kennedy, one of the, one of the representatives in the house in Louisiana, right? John Kennedy, he has a lot more connections, a lot more power, a lot more influence than John Kennedy does. But uh, because of, and because of that, let's say again, let's say with that scenario, he were to go back to Illinois. I mean, who's to say that he doesn't have inner connections within the Illinois state system to make sure he, you know, he can serve in local politics again. Like who's to say he can't do that with that amount of influence and power that he had. So, so I think I, that's what I'm protected states from personally. I I see the rationale there. I have two counters to that. The first counter would be the fact that I do stand by the question I posed earlier. Um, like, why would we not be consistent here? I would say that the states should have that power to decide just so that they have the ability to do so. I don't think we need to save them from that. So that'd be my first one. Uh, but to your point of the rationale, I would say if Obama wanted to go back and he wanted to serve at he he couldn't serve as a state senator. He could only, or as the U.S. state senator, he could only serve in the Illinois state senate or the Illinois House of Representatives, or as the governor, or as a mayor, or and like in in my mind, if a state likes the politician that much, they're not hurting anyone outside that state, right? Versus like if they could continue to run for president, I think you've got a lot more of an argument there because it affects all 50 states. And just because you have a powerhouse of connections shouldn't mean you're a king forever. But, you know, if he wants to go serve at the Chamber of Commerce, you know, I'm sure the people who are like, hell yeah, I'll just go <laughs> chill with my homie. You know, like I, I, like, I, I, I think that any, any person who wants to, because here's the other thing. In this hypothetical world, let's say we've eliminated the pension, so the president's not getting you know four hundred thousand dollars a year for the rest of their life necessarily. They're not getting four hundred, you know, whatever the salary is fixed at. Right. One proposal I've heard has been that I really liked. They should get the median salary, like the most common salary in their area, or even the average, the mean salary that's going on. So if he wants to go and he wants to make you know a hundred thousand dollars, sixty thousand dollars, whatever it is for the district. And he loves the people that much. Why would we stop that? Because like, I think that he would have to be so in touch with the people at that point. If that's what they want, go for it. He's not going to fare very well in like Kentucky or Florida, but if Illinois wants it, (laughs) you know, then they'll vote for him. And when they're sick and tired of him, then they'll vote him out. And that would go for any politician. So that's why I would say, you know, let the states decide. Okay, then how about as a compromise to your pushback, Fed? What would you say if someone came up with a compromise of, he can run for the state can decide if he wants to run for local politics, like the chamber of commerce and everything like that. But as far as um, 
letting him run again in an executive level, like governorship of Illinois, for example, okay. that sh- should be an automatic ban. Like you, sh- you, like you've already led a, an entire nation. You should not have the power to run another executive position like that again at a state level. I'm I'm more on board with that. I think I would still say let the state decide, right? Because if if the state's concerned about that, then they'll vote against it in this scenario. Um, but I think you've got me a little bit more on board with that. If I had to comp, <laughs> if Ken and I are the new constitutional convention <laughs> going on here, I would be willing to certainly. I'd have to think on it a little bit, but I would be willing to consider that proposal if it meant that they got this ban of leadership in place. And the biggest reason you've got me there is because you're forcing the president into a position where they have to compromise and they are one voice out of however many state legislators you've got. It's no longer the executive king type position. So I think the reasoning there, Ken, is a little bit more consistent. So I'd be willing to take that. Okay. So I guess this kind of gets into the last points as far as right as far as for tonight anyway uh what are some term limits what are other limits you think that would help the states maintain power and land the federal government um have too much say when it comes to term limits what other nuances can you think you think we've missed right now so just to be sure I've understood the question, you're asking um, more at the federal level, state level, either? Either or more at the federal level. Like what else can we what else can be done to curtail as far as limit the central powers to have more of a say than the state levels? I mean, I don't know, because like I said a moment ago, like to me, at the end of the day, like I just don't want a career politician. That's my main concern about this whole scenario. Right. Right. And that's why I have – that's what came up with the nuanced questions as far as, you know, what about, you know, the presidency? So actually, let me ask you this question then as far as um, would you also be – let's say you – in a hypothetical sense, let's say there's more people in this convention than you and I, right? And they are like, you know what? Um, no. The president should be able to run for executive position at the state level. That power should be, uh, you know what? Never mind. <laughs> I thought I had something going my mind. For, I just lost my train of thought for a second. Um, well, I can I can spring off that. I don't know if this is where you were going, but you've made me think of something. Go ahead. So I would put both of these out for a vote. So like I wouldn't just let it ride at oh. Should uh, here's the amendment that says the president cannot do this. And then they're like, no, we don't like that. And it's like, great, president can. So I would then put the second option out there as, you know, we're still imposing these limits. You see what I'm saying? So like I would take this point by point and I would do that as, are you familiar with ranked choice voting? Somewhat. So basically let's say that um, instead of, so right now if a candidate gets as long as they get the allotted amount of votes that like if there's a threshold of like you need 50.0001% of the votes then you get you know the whatever the position is versus and this is more common in like mayoral election like you know unless there's like a hey you need like two-thirds three-fourths whatever 
then a lot of times if you have, let's say, two Republican candidates and the Democrats are like, nope, we're only sending one, the Democrat candidate has a stronger chance because Republicans will split between the two, which means even if it played out pretty evenly, you would have 50% going to the Democrat and then 25 and 25, right? That's usually how that would play out versus ranked choice voting would say, okay, this person had, and this is very crude. We can dive into this more if we want later, but <laughs> basically it's like, there's like a numerical ranked system to where um, if I'm leading the second place, but I had, you know, enough votes, it's not completely decimating my choices. I would do something like that perhaps with the, constitutional amendments like hey which one do you guys like more to try and get the true pulse of what the state wants not just oh great status quo is better than what we propose let's reject it like <laughs> congress usually does all right so okay now okay i remember now i remember the other nuanced question there you I go i bought you had, some time <laughs> you got me some time thank you so all right I so kind you. of going back to the state level then because um what if the, what if we had an amendment that allowed the state's to impose eternal limits on who can represent at the federal level. And when it, like, what if California decided to come up with an amendment that said, Nancy Pelosi, you cannot serve more than 12 years at the House of Representatives and as a compromise to your 20-year blanket or, or maybe as part of the 20-year mm. uh, blanket servement. Um, how would you, what are your thoughts on a state like Kentucky imposing something like that for your uh, elected officials at the federal level? That is a great question. And as I'm spitballing here, as I think through it, I think that that would actually, even just from a, you know, that I like to give more power to the states. I'm very much an upholder of that. I don't think the government at the federal level should just be, you know, deciding, hey, you guys can't uh, do this. So your proposal there, those specifics, actually, I think, I think that that actually gives the, the state's the power to impose the limits that they want and like really give the power to the states, but it makes it so that no state necessarily has a greater advantage, right? Because maybe California would be like, nah, we like being able to hold <laughs> this type of a, you know, we don't like Nancy. I, I've never met someone who's like, Nancy Pelosi's the best. She's the most right. touch, right? <laughs> but I feel like most people break along party lines when the alternative option is oh no nancy pelosi is known if we remove her then some unknown republican might steal one of our seats right and that goes the other way too so i think that national cap at 20 years means that states if they think it's in their best interest to be represented in shorter terms they could impose that but it would prevent lifers in some states and then you know two years in another so if if that was like, hey, you all can set your own thing on how you want to be represented at the federal level, I'm actually not opposed to that. But I would still say that could only be the case so long as there's a consistent federal cap, because then it falls in line with the 10th Amendment, right? Whatever power is not given to the federal government gets given to the states. So we give the federal government the power to impose a 20-year cap. And then if states want to make that shorter, by all means, go ahead if you think that'll better represent you. I would say the only issue I could see arising from that is that lack of consistency. Because it's gonna, if it's going to yes. vary state by state, despite having that twenty-year cap in place, you're going to have you're going to have state politicians there that are at that twenty-year mark or close to twenty-year mark, and you'll have some states that you know they have Congress members who basically have no more than six years of experience total, kind of deal. Like yeah. that's a possible future scenario. So I think. 
the solution or the compromise to the compromise. <laughs> <laughs> the compromise to the compromise to the compromise to the compromise. <laughs> yeah, the, another idea I, I guess you could float around is make it to where the states can't limit the people who want to represent those you know, 20 years, but they can limit as far as how many years they can represent in a specific chamber of Congress, at least. So if they want to limit, let's say, Nancy Pelosi to only 18 years of House of Representatives and, you know, the rest of those, or not, let's say 12 years, because, hold up, I'm trying to do the math in my head here. Well, because what, what, what that would do then, if I'm remembering correctly, they would have to leave eight open for the presidency in case they want to run for that, which leaves them 12, which means you either serve two terms in the Senate or you serve. Uh, yeah. As far as like what the, the state, what the state, what the state thinks is the ideal, what they're comfortable with as far as this is the ideal path you should take. And right. if you want to, you know, achieve presidency, like we think you should serve at least in this 20 year cap, uh, six years of the House of Representatives and then. You know, twelve years or not so twelve years. My only my only pushback to that is not everybody's gonna be president, so then you're limiting most people to being able to run for twelve years of Well I'm of, just saying twelve years I'm just saying twelve years is like one, you know, as let's say one state decides twelve years in general to run as a house representative. I'm just saying that as an idea as far as the concept is letting the states figure out you know, the how many years they can serve in each chamber of Congress before they can run for presidency, at least at the federal level in that 20 year cap. That's my that's the general idea I'm going for. So maybe they can have like some kind of a contingency where they're like, look, you can either you can serve. I don't know, 12 years in the. Well, let's I'm trying to think if we've got 12 years total. Maybe they could have like a contingency subclause, right? Which is like, if you don't want to run for presidency, those eight years can be split this way or this way. Is that kind of what you're getting at? Yeah. Okay. Then that answers my concern there. So yeah. Okay. I can see that as being a nice way to let the states have some power and the federal government set the cap. Yeah. I mean, it's just kind of giving more powers to the states at that point. Cause like, cause I think that was like the original uh, idea and before term limits was struck down as unconstitutional in 1995 was the states they're the ones who were trying to tell their constituents or delegates that represent the federal level like hey you can't represent our state more than so many years per se right and uh you know but the supreme court did make sense as far as you can't impose more limits at what's already imposed in the constitution um but this is a constitutional amendment situation, so and it would be trying. Started at the top and worked our way down. Yeah, and I would. So with that said, though, I mean, is twenty years sufficient? I would. I'm thinking more like twenty four years, maybe. At I feel it's kind of funny. Like I went from like having specific like. I feel like I've just jumped on board with your twenty year cap, whatever <laughs> general cap, federal cap. But I think twenty four years would probably be a better. Um, mathematically, anyway, it would be more consistent, I guess. It would be even be better off split. Because I'm thinking like 12 years for uh, House representatives. If I'm thinking for, with everything we just talked about, right? Like, let's say Florida. Let's see what the 24-year cap. That would say, let's say, I don't know. You could serve 12 years in the city. I would be okay with that. And then you have two terms to run for House of Representatives if you want to, which that would be 14 years. So now you have another 10 years to serve. 
Okay, so ne- so add another so six years as House of as House of Representatives, and they have the rest of those eight years to be president. At least to me, that's easier to split the time and not worry about terms overlapping each other. But I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? My initial, as far as the mathematics as my, my initial thought is to stick with the twenty years because let's say they want to run for the House of Representatives. So they, they do three terms in the House of Representatives. So they've served six years. And then they serve one term in the Senate, which is six years. That's your 12 years. And then, boom, you can move on to the presidency. And 24 years, I think, gives them a little bit more wiggle room. But, like, I'm going to be honest. I kind of really want to put the fire under the butts of Congress. That's my initial <laughs> thought as to why I want the 20 years. 24, in the grand scheme of things, you think about it. It's like, man. I'm turning 28 and they would have served almost my entire (laughs) life at that point. But if we break down the numbers, you get six, six, four and two year terms. It can go by pretty quick and they don't, you know, get as much. So I would be open to 24, even though my initial thought is keep it at 20, but I'd I'd be willing to think on it a little bit and come back. Be 22 years. Who knows? I'm just thinking about the mathematics aspect as far as like dividing it evenly, as far as, you know, I think two terms of Senate should be enough for one person um, in that scenario. And then in that 20 year cap, and then maybe as a house of representatives, no more than three consecutive terms or three terms. So, okay. So let's go back to that consecutive term aspect as far as, you know, let's say the state's decided, uh, what would you be comfortable with your state as far as should a state make it to where someone can't run for the federal level and that 20 year cap or 24, whatever they, whatever, you know, is the number of cap, the cap. All right. Um, do you think that the state should be able to, um, gosh, dang, I lost my train of thought again. I'm, I'm rusty right now. <laughs> Are you asking if the states should be able to limit if you can go up for 20 years in the federal Congress after serving a specific time at the state level? I think we already addressed that question, didn't we? <laughs> Kind of. I think we said that it would we would be fine with them moving up. But moving down, though? Okay, Before yeah. we put the limits. Okay, so let's say they don't serve their 20 years, then. Would you be comfortable in your state of Kentucky, someone who, you know, did 12 years in the House, um, would you be comfortable with them serving local politics again? Or you- yeah, sure. I mean, I'm fine with the president coming back I, I like and, and serving at the congressional level in the state. I think we kind of landed on they couldn't serve the executive function, right? So not the government. Right. Um, I would be fine with that, especially because like House of Representatives is so obscure. Sadly, most people don't even know who their House of Representatives representative is. So, like, they know the more famous ones who stir up a lot of waves, but <laughs> I couldn't right. tell you who's my house representative, you know, at the at the federal level in the House of Representatives for my district of Kentucky. And that's really freaking sad. Now, I did just move there. So I've only had a month and I haven't had that be a priority with all the stuff I've had going on. But I think that, you know, anyway, I think what I was getting at there is it kind of alleviates your concern of are they too well known you know to where they've got too much clout so i would say yeah let them come back that's fine as long as they didn't serve their 20 years i don't care who they are i think we impose the one restriction on presidents they can't come back as the governor 
But if they want to come back and they want to serve, I'm okay with that because they've moved down in power and they have to be, again, like I said earlier, closer to the will of the people. And also, if you come back and you serve at the House of Representatives at the state level, you're up for a re-election every two years. So if we don't like you, you're gone. Okay, so um, I think I remember my original train of thought. <laughs> was like, again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> bought me time again. That's what you're here for at this point. So my original train of thought, let's say in this 20-year cap, hypothetically, yeah. should it be to where they have to serve Congress first and then they're able to run for presidency or should someone Ooh. be able to allow for run for presidency straight up like Donald Trump, right? A Donald Trump scenario. Yeah. Yeah. Should they be able, should someone like Donald Trump have to serve a little bit at, you know, not only in the federal level of the politics, but maybe they maybe have a requirement where they have to serve a little bit of local politics as well. Hmm. I don't think I want to impose a restriction that they have to serve a specific order. Like the the main reason I started with 20 years and they could do with it as they want was to give the candidates some choice. Like where do they, where are they interested? Where do they think they can serve best? And I personally think that, you know, you should have your pulse on some of the more local aspects, but Donald Trump would be an example where he obviously pissed a lot of people off, but <laughs> also, what he said was very radical, but his policies themselves were not as radical. Like, and in fact, I think people who followed the-, the policies that were passed under his legislation, if you actually look into what they did, most of those people that I talked to, even if they strongly disliked him as a person, were like, okay, that was actually, that was a good call. So I don't think that for the president level, and that's one example of it, you had to be the pulse of the people, I think that, you know, he came in and between the people that he was surrounded with and what he did, I think that he pissed a lot of people off with what he said, but his policies themselves actually did by and large coincide with the general people, which is why they got through Congress, right? Because like the the Republicans didn't have a two thirds majority to pass the stuff. So I don't know. I I, I would say, I'm just kind of thinking out loud here. I would say <laughs> no good. no specific restrictions because some people can pull it off, some can't. Some pull it off better than others. I think in general that's the path that keeps them the most grounded, but I've also known plenty of politicians who just use you as a stepping stool and then they're out of touch anyway. So, yeah, I let them do what they want. I think most people by default would try to climb the ladder to kind of whether it's to get a feel for the people or just to get their name out there. So I would think that that could be let go. So would you be open to a compromise then to something like as far as at a congressional level, not at the presidential level, to where maybe before you can ser- – let's say the state of Kentucky came up with a proposed amendment on the ballot in November for you. And it's in order for uh, – to run for Congress at the federal level and with that 20-year whatever cap – um, you have to serve at least some year, a certain amount of years at the local politics here at our state level first, and then you can go to the federal level. I actually How would you feel like about that, that proposal a lot? That's a great proposal, Ken, because what that would do is I didn't like the proposal earlier so much. 
I mean, it was fine. I was willing to take it as a compromise when you had proposed that they could determine where at the federal level they could serve for how long, because originally I did want them to be able to choose. But if they can't advance to the federal level without having a certain amount of time served, that lets the states decide and then lets them move up. Now, here's the one issue that I see with that. California is going to have different requirements than Tennessee and Florida, et cetera, and so forth. So are we okay? Because like, are we okay with, with California letting people run straight for the presidency within the 20 year time restriction, but Tennessee has like this super stringent, you know, you must serve at the chamber of commerce for this minute. You know, like, are, are we okay with that? So would you then propose a compromise to the compromise to the compromise to the compromise, a an actual constitutional amendment at the federal level where there's some universal consensus as far as, all right, so states, you can do this, but this is the limit just so we can have that continuity and consistency, if you will. Okay, let me point out that you asked this question five minutes ago and you've just tried to walk me back. <laughs> <laughs> You're basically asking the same question, and I know, I, 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 I think it's hilarious. Um, <laughs> he's got the salesman pitch going here. So <laughs> it starts off with, in case you missed it, what Ken starts off with here is: Do you want the federal government requiring that states, you know, do this? this you know what? If I'm asking the same question, no, well, no, it's the same question. If I'm asking the same question, just phrasing it differently, I think we've landed a natural conclusion for tonight's episode. Then, <laughs> uh, unless no, you have. I'm Again, just giving you a hard time. It was, yeah. I think it was fair enough. Um, ask it again, Ken. I'm sorry. I got too caught up on giving you a hard time. You were basically <laughs> asking, would we want some restrictions at the federal level of where you have to serve that the state no, no, can then far, work within? Yeah, but more or less as far as, you know, to avoid that inconsistency that you just brought up, that flaw you just brought up. You know, I stated at the start of this, I don't have all the answers. I want to give you an I don't know because I'm, I'm conflicted <laughs> and I'll walk you through my thought process here. The reason okay. I'm conflicted is because like you raise a good point. Um, and, you know, we've talked and I'm trying to be consistent here. And, you know, this is one topic of one thing. I can only imagine how long it took the founding fathers to come up with this, let alone debate. <laughs> to it. You know, I, <laughs> This is just one episode. <laughs> With yeah, two yeah. people. So Imagine yeah, with two people. people who are actually fairly close together in their thought process here. So if the federal government – I'm just going to spitball the pros and cons here. If the federal government, to sum up, if they impose a restriction that you have to – you know, just for that consistency, we get the consistency. But then also states don't get the say. I'm thinking I might be open. What type of – to make sure the states still have power, Ken, what would you propose would be the federal starting point that the states can then dictate so that we get that consistency, but the states get to pick how much service they want before you can go up for federal 20 years? I think a bare minimum of just like two years at the bare minimum. I think that's enough, to be honest. Like, I'm not asking for okay. a career politician in the right. state level to... Because we don't want those. Okay, yeah. so... <laughs> I would with that specifics, I'd be all right with that because the federal government then says, I'm trying to think how we'd get around this constitutionally because, yeah, we could do this legit as long as the 
we could make the states enter an agreement, right? So it would be like calling the Constitutional Convention, the Convention of States. They do the, because we know Congress isn't going to do this on a practical level. We as the states get two-thirds of us to call it and then three-fourths to ratify that these restrictions are on the federal government and also the blanket state requirements, but also delegating the power to the states in this article that's being added to the constitution at the federal level that the states get to adjust and add to that if they want. What do you think of that? You know, I don't have all the answers either, Ryan. (laughs) (laughs) I will have to have some time to marinate it. And that's why we have this series though. And that's why it's not split into, we're trying to cover Congress in one space entire episode because we'll be here for eight hours i feel like <laughs> you know what we rate. should do <laughs> we should we should walk through this like we have been but at the end of the series <laughs> you and i have a this was our compromise right like we laid out our ideals but then we have to pass something at the end of the series and then we lay out our new constitution with the new amendments <laughs> yeah yeah i can see that at least when it, at least for the three federal branches after the three federal branches uh, we'll have like an episode. We'll have an episode. Okay, so here's the deal, folks. All right, Ryan and I, after end, after we covered all three branches, we'll actually come up with a, you know, an outline of what the constitutional amendments would look like in a smaller government, at least when it comes to the three branches, and the compromise that we've come, and we'll, and we can even have like a comparison as far as like how far we shifted from our original position to reach this compromise, or as far as what we think this would be an ideal and fair solution to the situation based on our differences, which to be fair in the fairness of fairness, uh, Ryan and I are both conservatives. So this is like two conservatives points of view, but this is what I kind of, and I guess to kind of conclude for tonight anyway, I think we've reached a natural conclusion for tonight's episode. Um, unless you have anything you want to add as far as nuance to the nuance to the nuance to the nuance, you know, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, the thing with this series, though, is like we will, there will be, is that even though we have like similar ideologies, like we definitely have, I mean, you've heard it tonight, we have our disagreements still. Like there, there's some specific nuances. And imagine, this is with two people. Imagine with an entire room full of people, hundreds of people in one room, crammed in the summer, no AC, and they have to figure out how they're going to create this government that's going to, serve the people and limit the powers of the federal government while at the same time empowering the states to govern by themselves without much interference. I mean, I thought tonight's conversation was pretty good, Brian. I don't know about you. I oh, I agree. The- <laughs> uh, what should we call it? And then at the end of the day, though, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how much we've shifted our positions as far as compromise after compromise after compromise. And the new ones we brought up, um, do you have any final thoughts before we close things out? I think my final thought here is that, you know, my prediction was correct. The more we talk through these, the greater appreciation I have for the founding fathers. You know, I think part of my research for these has been, it includes going to the Federalist Papers. And I'm actually starting to think that um, in addition to the Bill Me segments that we do, on between the liars where we read the legislation i like the one where we talk about the the federalist papers because like that's the arguments for 
why our government was the way it is. Why is it a republic instead of a democracy? Why, you know, why why were we federalized? And what was the reasons we almost weren't, you know, like, I, I, and there's so much that you need to take into account. There's a lot of nuance we have to bring in. Like you said, Ken, I think you hit it on the head. Like this is two people who tend to skew the same direction, still having disagreements. You know, what happens when we bring Josh or Marcelo or, you know, Chris from the, <laughs> like, what happens and where do we compromise? So I'm excited to see where the rest of this goes. I'll, I'll leave it at you that. Know, I will say, I kind of wish the conservative conventions like turning point USA or the CPAC, I kind of wish this was the kind of conversations they were having, to be honest, instead of the bitch sessions I hear from them. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's a time and place to vent about the problems, about your the current administration and the current politicians and everything. But I kind of wish they provided, they kind of had more of this format where they're discussing ideas, they're discussing the, you know, giving people that visual what a smaller government looks like so they can go out and promote these values that we believe in. So um, just throwing that out there, Turning Point USA, if you want to hire me, you know, to run a convention <laughs> someday or, you know, CPAC, if you want to listen to anything that we're saying tonight, I want a million chance, please, by all means, look into it. So let's see what I have to say. Anyways, thank you folks for tonight's first ever edition of Blueprint. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Stay tuned. I'll be back to close things out. You can say goodbye to my friend Ryan. With that said, folks, stay tuned. All right, stay tuned every Friday for a new episode of Blueprint with Ken and I. We will take a new issue every single week that we see with the government, and we'll talk about it and bring our proposals. Remember, you can find Between the Liars on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, Twitch, and Google Podcasts. You can follow us on our social medias to stay updated. Hit that like and subscribe. And if you don't mind and you enjoy this show, give us a five-star review. Share us with your friends. I'm sure you find yourself somewhere between the liars. Stay tuned for more great content. Goodbye for now. Goodbye for now.